Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. A lot of the news, obviously, Donald Trump taking his uh, tantrums to the U.K. One of the protesters there was holding up a sign that said, America, we've got him and the whole crime family over here. Change the locks and cancel the passports. Ah! Yeah. Can't they just keep him? I mean, literally, his whole family is there. All the kids, their kids, their in-laws. The, you know, it's, it's like, you know, there's a thousand people. I mean, literally or nearly over 900 people who went with Donald Trump. A couple hundred of those are probably security, but still, <laughs> I mean, we could just close the door, can't we? No, we can't. All right, some serious stuff. Did the government just test the internet kill switch? Something happened over the weekend, and this has like layers of significance and consequence associated with it. And frankly, I'm surprised that it's getting almost no publicity at all. The conservatives are thinking that this was the U.S. government trying to figure out when it's going to shut down all the conservative websites. And everybody else is wondering if it was the Chinese government or the Russian government or the Iranian government or the North Korean government or some other government that we are, shall we say, not on the best of terms with at the moment, who is saying to us, hey, look what we can do. What happened was over the weekend, this was uh, three o'clock on Sunday, as I recall, Eastern time. All of a sudden, people who used any of the big internet providers, apparently this was mostly Google Cloud, which was Gmail, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, among others, that it went down. And if you had one of these thermostats, you, instead of seeing the temperature, you'd see a giant question mark. If you had one of these automatic ways to unlock your front door, you couldn't get into your house. If you had one of the doorbells, you wouldn't be able to see what was going on. If you had, you know, I mean, fill in the blanks, right? If you had email through one of Google's services or some of these other services, no, you couldn't get access to it. What does this mean? And, you know, beyond the conspiracy theories over what happened Sunday, I think there's a larger issue, which is, let's assume for a minute that it was just you know, a screw up at Google headquarters, because this seems to have had to do with the Google Cloud product, which is basically just a giant server farm that is accessed through the internet. That's called the cloud. There is no cloud. It's somebody's hard drive, right? It's somebody's server. If you, uh, you put your Apple information, you know, if you have Apple Cloud enabled, you're just putting your information on Apple servers. If you've got, you know, any of the others, you're just putting your information on their servers. So it might have just been a, you know, a screw up. But it also might have been a testing one, two, three. And so the question is, what do we do if it was? Or what should we do to prevent something like that from happening? I think the answers at a certain level are fairly obvious. We need to harden our internet capability. This is now part of our critical infrastructure. You've got everything from businesses to dams and bridges that can't run without the internet anymore. We've seen where the virus, the CIA, tool that was let loose into the wild by hackers a few years ago and apparently picked up by some North Korean hackers and others and turned into ransomware, has shut down hospitals, all kinds of things. So obviously we need to do that. But, you know, I think the larger question is, 
Well, actually, it raises a whole bunch of different questions. By making ourselves so reliant on an Internet that is fundamentally insecure, you know, what are we opening ourselves up to? What are the alternatives? And if we get self-driving cars, they're going to have to work on the Internet. They're going to have to work over the cloud. What kind of hacking potentials does that represent? Have we wandered into brave new world territory? I just think it's, it's fascinating stuff. So, you know, I toss that out. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it. Europe apparently was also affected. The notification, this is Zero Hedge tweeted, the notification gateway to advise Google that the cloud is down is on the cloud and it's down. Twitter was down, Pokemon Go was down, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, pretty potent stuff. Also, your thoughts on term limits. I got to tell you, in my opinion, term limits are a scam. They're just an absolute scam. The reality is that when a new young person comes into Congress or comes into a state legislature, the state house, your state senate, or comes into the city council, uh, you know, your local town or whatever, or the United States Senate even, a new person comes in, they need to learn their way around. They need to learn how the levers of power are used. They need to learn how, how do you, how do you uh, translate an idea into legislation? How do you challenge somebody who's opposing you legislatively? How do you wield influence, essentially, as a legislator? How do you get things done? Who are the people in the uh, permanent infrastructure, essentially, of government that you need to get to know? What is the Congressional Budget Office? How do you interact with that? All this kind of stuff, right? And typically, the way that a new member of Congress learns this stuff is by asking an old member of Congress, somebody who's been there for years and years. When you have term limits, and we've seen this happen now in several states, and the term limits were, I believe, in most cases, and I think probably in all cases, promoted by Freedom Works, which is the Koch brothers outfit. One of the things that we know is in these states that have put into place term limits, where there are no old timers, when new people come in and they look around and they say, okay, how do I do this job? How do I be a legislator? And there's nobody who, there who's been a legislator for more than a year or two or three or four. They turn to the permanent infrastructure around them, the people who are knocking on their door literally every day, who have been there for decades in many cases, who can tell them how everything works. And those people are the lobbyists. So in my opinion and in my experience, the only thing that term limits does is increases the power of lobbyists and decreases the institutional power of the two political parties and of the people in them. And of course, that's exactly what the Koch brothers would want. I mean, you know, they're all about lobbying, right? Hey, no fossil fuel tax. <laughs> so I get this email from FreedomWorks. I signed up for FreedomWorks' email as Barney Rubble, so it comes to Barney Rubble. Barney, this is disturbing! That was the headline. In fact, the headline said, I don't think this is right, Barney. Can you take a look at it? And so I looked at it, and it says, uh, Bar it's got the FreedomWorks logo. And it says, Barney, this is disturbing. Nancy Pelosi's been in office 32 years. Maxine Waters, 28 years. Sheila Jackson Lee, 24 years. Elijah Cummings, 23 years. Adam Schiff, 18 years. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, 14 years. It says, these career politicians are in super safe districts, meaning they can stay in office for the rest of their lives. This has got to stop. Take action. Tell your members of Congress to support term limits. Thankfully, conservative champion Ted Cruz has a bill circulating Congress to finally put term limits on Congress. But Chuck Schumer and his swamp senators are doing everything to prevent Senator Cruz's bill from receiving a vote. And if you stay silent now, they'll kill this bill and let career politicians continue to run Congress. Don't let it happen. Don't let them get away with it. Please send your members of Congress a message. Tell them to stand with Senator Cruz and drain the D.C. swamp. Tell them to support term limits for Congress now. I can tell you the one guy who doesn't want to be term limited is Ted Cruz. But in any case, term limits are not the solution. We have term limits right now. They are called, they're called elections. But, you know, the people over at FreedomWorks are not all excited about that. So there is that. I tweeted a couple of days ago, actually, uh, Lawrence Tribe tweeted something out about authoritarianism. Do you think that America is turning in an authoritarian direction? Is this something we can pull back from? Or is this something we are stuck with? Have we become an authoritarian nation? Are we traveling down the road to ending up like Egypt or the Philippines? You know, like uh, Duterte or Erdogan. 
And Lawrence Tribe had tweeted, in Trump and Barr's America, it looks like the executive branch has finally claimed it can defy not only the legislative branch, but the judicial branch as well. Isn't that called a dictatorship? Please tell me what I'm missing here. And Jennifer Rubin. Actually, it's from Lawrence Tribe. He tweeted it to Jennifer Rubin. And so I retweeted that and I said, authoritarianism nakedly comes to America. Next will be military parades and dear leader speeches on the 4th of July and the persecution of political enemies the same way that Trump took down the main counterintelligence people at the FBI who specialized in Eastern European and Russian organized crime. And then Spittin' Lion sends me a quote from Vermont Congressman Matthew Lyon. And this is remarkable because I've written about Matthew Lyon at, at some length. Matthew Lyon was the congressman from Vermont who stood up in the House of Representatives in 1799, maybe in 98. It was after John Adams passed the Alien and Sedition Act, which basically said that if you spoke against John Adams, you were committed sedition and you could go to jail. And Matthew Lyon got up on the floor of Congress and gave a speech. And the uh, congressman from Connecticut, his name was Griswold, was so offended by this speech that he came across the floor of the house with a fireplace poker in his hand to whack Matthew Lyon upside the head. And I'd never seen the speech before, but apparently this is it. Fellow citizen, you came to the administration, sir, under the most favorable auspices at the time when this country was considered an asylum for the oppressed of all nations and there was a great influx of foreign riches, industry, and ingenuity. When this country was happy in the freedom of speech and of the press. When the Constitution was considered a barrier against legislative, executive, and judicial encroachments. Before offices, places, and contracts were considered as the executive right of the favorite caste. Reflect a little, sir, and see this awful change you made four short years. Your mad zeal for monarchy, your love for pomp, your unhappy selection of favorites, your regardlessness of the public treasure has divided the people into parties and fostered among them envy, malice, and rancorous hatred toward each other. Tell me that is not Donald Trump. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's really pretty amazing when you think about it. You know, it really is. So this was Matthew Lyon. Just an amazing story about Matthew Lyon. When Griswold came across the house after him with a poker, right? They actually got into a fight. And the sergeant at arms of the house came in and broke it up. And on the orders of John Adams, of the president of the United States, because Matthew Lyon had called out Roger Griswold saying, you only defend the interests of the rich. That was his phrase that he accused Griswold of. Griswold attacked him. And John Adams had him shipped off to Vermont, which is the state that Matthew Lyon represented. He was their single representative in the House of Representatives. And uh, John Adams had him shift off to Vergennes, Vermont, and stuck in a jail, in an unheated jail cell for the winter. And Matthew Lyon, this is March 4th, this would have been the day, this would have been the week, the last week of the John Adams presidency that he gave the speech that I just read to you. But he ran for re-election in Vermont to the House of Representatives from jail and won which is how he got back to the house to give this speech, which is, you know, pretty astonishing. So are we there now? I'm frankly very concerned that Donald Trump is talking about locking up his political enemies. And that's like dangerous stuff, locking, locking up your political enemies. This is what authoritarians do. They lock up their political enemies. They do not brook or pardon or allow any dissent this should concern and trouble all of us, frankly. I mean, this, I think, is a big deal. It's a big concern that we need to take very, very seriously, in my opinion. Do you think that Donald Trump is just a blowhard? Do you think that he's just, you know, he's just blowing off steam? I've got some incredible uh, geeky science stories, too. And Seth Abramson connecting the dots. Did you know that there were six countries who hacked our election, not just Russia? I mean, this is pretty amazing, too. The whole idea that our election, I'm not talking about the internet shutdown you know, from last weekend, I'm talking about the election, that it wasn't just Russia. And in fact, it's starting to look like there was actually a six nation 
I don't know if conspiracy is the right word or pact or collaborative effort to basically get Donald Trump elected so that the foreign policy of the United States would shift from being supportive of liberal democracies in Europe and in favor of more authoritarian regimes like Russia and the UAE and Israel. Well, you know, doing my show all day and organizing this podcast and all this kind of stuff, uh, kind of takes a toll on my back. And that's when I'm looking for a good painkiller that's not addictive, right? That actually works and is not addictive. And one of the things I found is that CBD oil is extraordinarily effective for that. It's an anti-inflammatory and a pain reliever. It's not intoxicating, doesn't get you high, and uh, it's non-toxic. So you get the health benefits of cannabinoids, uh, CBD, right, without the THC, without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. And the brand that I like the best is New Leaf Naturals. New is spelled N-U, not N-E-W, Leaf Naturals. It's the highest quality CBD oil on the market. 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown in the United States, and it's made out of hemp. Hemp is legal. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form, and you can buy it right now. So go to newleafnaturals.com, that's N-U-LeafNaturals.com, and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM. It's spelled T-H-O-M. So go to N-U-LeafNaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. Only one place, NewLeafNaturals.com, and use that code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get 30% off and free shipping inside the U.S. Philip in Baltimore. Hey, Philip, your thoughts on the Internet? Yeah, I don't know if you know it, but Baltimore's Internet for the city was brought down by hackers on the 7th, and it's still down right now. They're holding the city hostage for $100,000, and it's supposedly going to cost us millions. And the, the mayor has asked the governor to get national disaster money. We still, I mean, we didn't get our water bills this month. Uh, you can't sell or buy a house. You can't pay parking tickets. The whole really? the city infrastructure. This is one of those uh, ransomware attacks? Yes, it came from NS. The software came from NSA, right. and they're now they're trying to blame Baltimore. They're saying Baltimore didn't update, but uh, NSA shouldn't have made software. Right. And uh, it well, it's still down. We I, that's incredible. I still can't pay bills. Wow, that's incredible! An entire city shut down, Baltimore. What if it was the entire and state of Maryland? They said if they if they didn't pay it within four days, they said the information would be lost. Yeah. So I don't know. If it's gone or, or to pay bills now, you have to you have to go to city hall. You you can't pay by phone. You can't pay on the internet. Wow, that's Which incredible. Is a pain. Yeah. and it's this is a major city. I mean, it's got to be there's three million people in our metropolitan area. Yeah, it's got to be a total pain in the butt. Philip, thank you. Yeah, Thanks but, for the heads up on that. That's that's fascinating. The story that I had was zero hedge. I got off Drudge. I understand there's also a story about this over at Daily Beast, but uh, they won't let me view their website because I use a uh, ad blocker, so I can't share the Daily Beast story with you. Ed in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Hey, Ed, what's up? Oh, hi, Tom. About uh, six months ago, it occurred to me that it was uh, totally legal for the president to uh, take over the country. I, I discovered the way. It's um, The National Emergency Act allows the president to um, suspend the Constitution in times of national emergency. Right. Once he does that, oh, he could just suspend Article 1 and Article 3. Get rid of the Congress, get rid of the court system. Then he becomes the sole authority. I uh, don't the, think the, next, the National Emergency Act gives him the power to suspend any part of the Constitution. Well, Other than maybe that, habeas corpus. I heard that on the radio, like, in 1980 when I was in the Air Force. I was just yeah. walking around doing something, and they said, you know, the, the last part of the blah, blah, blah law has been, and the last law has been finally passed that now allows the president to totally suspend the Constitution should he, should a national, like, yeah. say Washington gets nuclear bombed or something, he declares a national emergency, suspends the Constitution. Yeah. And well, Lincoln suspended it. habeas corpus, you know, during the Civil War, and I don't recall if the Supreme Court backed him on that or opposed him on it, but he did it. And uh, it's in the Constitution, habeas corpus. You know, in other words, the right to, if you're seized by the government, you have the right to face your accusers, you have the right, you know, you have these basic 
you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth amendment constitutional rights that, you know, comprise all that. Ed, I got to look into that. Thanks a lot for the call. States of emergency confer extraordinary power on governors and on presidents. And, you know, I mean, Trump declared a state of emergency in order to grab money for his border wall, remember? I want to move on to Donald Trump's visit to the United Kingdom and what Sadiq Khan had to say and Boris Johnson saying, you know, he's not fit to be president. Of course, that was two years ago, three years ago. Let's just dig into this a little bit. Theresa May's pending departure. Who's going to be prime minister? What's going on with the EU elections? With our resident expert on all things European, Victoria Jones. She's the executive director of the D.C. radio company, LLC. And her Twitter handle is Victoria Jones DC. First of all, Buckingham Palace invited Barack Obama to sleep in the palace. They apparently have something like 30, 40, 50 guest rooms. But they told Donald Trump that they're undergoing a substantial renovation. What's going on here? Well, it depends. I'm sure there are renovations going on. The question is, how extensive are the renovations? And and nobody is really saying this. Nobody is saying, well, you know, they're so extensive that he can't stay there. Nobody's saying they're so minimal that it's a way of um, not allowing him to stay there. So everybody is being very circumspect and saying there are renovations, and so he has to stay at Winfield House. So everybody is being incredibly polite about this. Mm. But there is an undercurrent there about it in the same way that heads of state are usually welcomed by the Queen at Horse Guards Parade. Mm. Occasionally they're welcomed on the lawn of the palace, but it's a more downbeat welcome to be welcomed sort of in the back garden, you know, in the backyard. Interesting. Uh, So are these insults to Trump or are these, uh, is there any meaning to this? Sometimes there are subtle meanings. He is getting a state banquet. It is all the trappings. So he is getting absolutely everything the way it should be done. Now, it could have been security that he was welcomed in the palace rather than Horse Guards Parade. It is notable that Barack Obama went to his welcome by the Queen in a motorcade where he was cheered. President Trump went by helicopter. It's a terribly short distance, Mm -hmm. but they are worried about protests. If Brexit happens, if a hard Brexit happens, the UK is going to have a real challenge in terms of international trade and could, I would think, could really use the United States as a bilateral trade partner. Do you think that that is part of why Donald Trump was allowed to invite himself to this? My understanding is that he he's the one who asked them to invite him over. And if that's the case, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, do you think that that might have something to do with it? Yes, I do, absolutely. But the U.S. ambassador to the U.K. has caused great alarm and consternation among many, including many conservative members of parliament, by a television interview that he gave in which he was talking about possible trade deals with America and that everything would be on the table, including chlorinated chicken in from the United States, which is something that... uh, just horrendous. And he was saying, well, you know, they could choose not to buy it. And then he was asked, well, what about the National Health Service? It was that. And he was saying, yes, even the National Health Service. And that, at that point, conservative members of parliament started to go ballistic. Wait a minute, because we eat food here in the United States that would be illegal in the UK because it's not healthy or it's dangerous, right. like chlorinated chicken, which sounds weird. So, yes, but yeah. the National Health Service, the idea that the United States might insist on bringing in private firms and that a conservative prime minister such as Boris Johnson might be open to the idea of a further privatized National Health Service with American firms involved was horrifying to many in, wow. in, in Britain. It seems that from his point of view, Donald Trump thinks that showing up in the UK and promoting the candidacy of Boris Johnson is going to help Boris Johnson become the next prime minister. Might it work the exact opposite way? 
It could work the opposite way. The thing is that many Conservative MPs are looking at who is most likely in a possible general election, which could happen anytime soon, really, right. to defeat Jeremy Corbyn. And Jeremy Corbyn most fears running against Boris Johnson, Jeremy Corbyn being the leader of the Labour Party. He right. fears Boris Johnson because Boris Johnson is a very good campaigner. He is considered somebody who's not bothered whether he says things that are accurate or not. Boris he's Johnson. very charismatic, Boris Johnson. So yes, he's, he's, he's kind of the UK's version of Trump. In some ways, but he also, you know, he went to, I think it was Oxford. He's very bright. He's, he's uh, clever. Yeah. Well, I think Trump is clever. I don't think he's particularly bright. So we've talked about that and how you think that's probably going to shake out. The European Parliament elections yeah. just happened, what, a week or so ago? And while everybody was all agog about the rise of the right-wing parties, I think the really big news was that the left-wing parties really had a much more significant victory, broadly speaking, than the right-wing parties, with the exception of the delegations from some of the more right-wing countries. Where does all this go? I think it's interesting, very interesting, because the mainstream parties didn't do well, but parties on sort of either end of the spectrum did well. I mean, I think it speaks to a real disaffection with mainstream politics. I don't know where it I think it shows the name of the system. And I think that's something that mainstream politicians need to look out for and that they're not looking out for because they just can't believe that the system that has worked so well for so long could possibly really be under threat, even though they, they see it all the time. I, I want to mention one other thing that's like, that is going to come up in talks with, with Theresa May, okay. and that is national security. And that is Britain's, it's not a done deal yet, but Huawei. And Britain is going to bring Huawei in to do 5G. And Theresa May cast the deciding vote in her cabinet, and many in her cabinet wildly resist the idea because they think China's going to spy on them, which I think. And Trump is saying, well, we will probably or may not share intelligence with you anymore if you bring Huawei in, which is very a huge development as Britain is part of the five eyes nations which share intelligence. This is a major, major development. Well, and then the flip side of that is that Donald Trump has, by executive order, allowed the highly political attorney general, Bill Barr, the guy who engineered the cover-up of the Iran-Contra scandal back in 1992 when he was attorney general, he has allowed him to go to our intelligence agencies and pull out any information he wants and make it public or distribute it in other ways. And, you know, there's considerable concern that the Five Eyes countries who share, basically openly share intelligence with the United States, and, and you're going to have to refresh my memory as who those countries are. I know it's the UK, Australia, but I don't recall who the other three uh, are. Canada and New two. Zealand. Canada and New Zealand. Thank you. The, and these are, this is kind of the Anglo, these are all the English-speaking countries, you know, that the Five Eyes countries are pretty freaked out that a political agent mm. is going to be able to burrow into what literally would be, you know, who, who are the spies? Where are they? What are they saying? I mean, you know, it's, there's been a lot of publicity here about the repercussions of that. How about in the UK? How about in Europe? There's a lot of concern about that overseas. And I gather overseas in the intelligence agencies. And also I gather in the intelligence agencies here that uh, sources and methods that, that active agents could be put at risk by this. And that also that agents or sources out in the field are just going to clam up and not say anything. Yeah, I think there's a growing consensus, at least from the people that I know, who are close to people in the intelligence community, that what's going on here is Trump is trying to get the U.S. spy inside the Kremlin, the one who delivered the information to the Mueller investigation that led to the indictment of those guys at the Internet Troll Agency, the Internet Research Agency. He's trying to get that spy killed, that he wants to find out who it wow. is and out him to the Russians so that they can take care of this little problem that they have because, you know, this guy knows what's going on. But who knows? Who knows? Victoria Jones, executive director of the DC Radio Company, LLC. You can tweet her at Victoria Jones DC. Victoria, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thank you. It is always so informative speaking with you. I very much appreciate it. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? 
Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the Fred chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call one own gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. So years ago, Stuart Pym, a biologist, introduced me to the concept of the high interrelatedness of different biological systems. For example, in the Pacific Northwest, there are forests that are having a problem because they're lacking iodine. Where do they get their iodine from? They used to get it from salmon spawning up the rivers, being eaten by bears who would then poop the iodine in the woods literally and feed the trees and when the bears are hunted out or the salmon stop running the trees start dying well it turns out something very very similar to that has been going on in africa with hippos only it's the other way around instead of the rivers feeding the forests it's the forests feeding the rivers and the hippos are gathering silica which is this amazing mineral from eating grass and in the in the forests and fields and then they carry this into the river. It's just a remarkable story. You can hear the whole thing on our special members-only podcast over at TomHartman.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Okay, I want to I add something to our conversation. Boy, this is an amazing piece. This is from The Independent. The $24,000 a night hotel where the Trump family is staying. Donald, Trump, Donald and Melania are apparently staying at the uh, U.S. Ambassador's residence, which is pretty fancy in and of itself. Nigel Peacock, who works on our show and lives in the U.K., sent me a note this morning saying that it has the second largest garden in London behind Buckingham Palace. So, you know, it's a big deal. But the rest of his family, apparently his entourage is close to 1,000 people. And they are staying in the Corinthia Hotel, where the Royal Penthouse costs $24,000 a night. We are spending millions on the Trump crime family going to the UK. So there's that, and that's a thing. But, but I wanted to get into guns. I wanted to share a perspective on this that I think is, is pretty important. People are asking why the shooter in Virginia Beach used a gun to settle his workplace score. The answer is probably pretty simple. When a man holds a gun... He literally holds the power of life and death in his hand, and that's incredibly seductive. With a gun in his hand, a man can look around a room, a building, a public area, and specifically identify who will instantly die and whom he will allow to live. It's a power that traditionally is held by doctors, priests, cops, and soldiers. The power over life and death is greater and more intoxicating than any other power. It's one of the reasons why some men are specifically drawn to those professions and historically have tried to regulate them to be male only. If you're not male and have never carried a gun in public, it's only an imaginary experiment, but science shows that literally just handling a gun alters men's levels of testosterone and measurably increases their aggressive behavior after they have handled a gun. This is largely a male problem because men commit 85% of all homicides and 97% of all homicides where men don't know each other. In the case of alcohol and workplace shootings, the numbers are also 97% male. And we know that American guns now are the second leading cause of childhood death in the United States. We know that shooting a gun increases levels of endorphins, the, the opiate-like chemicals in the brain, the pleasure chemicals. Similarly, driving big cars does the same thing to men. Driving big, powerful cars does the same thing. It, it spikes testosterone levels, increases aggression over short periods of time. Well, we figured out how to deal with that years ago, right? We say you must have a driver's license, you must have the car registered, you must have liability insurance. We should be applying those things to guns. But instead, we've got a situation here in the United States now where you go to the airport 
and you're boarding your plane and they say, before anybody else boards, first we're going to let the soldiers board because we so honor their service, right? Talk show hosts on TV, they reflexively say, thank you to your service, for your service to any veteran. So we honor vets because they put themselves in the line of fire. We honor cops because they put themselves in the line of fire. Every time a police officer is killed, it happened here in Portland a few months ago, it kind of shuts down the city for the police funeral. I mean, it's a big deal. And yet, every person in the American military who was killed last year worldwide, and every person who was killed as an active duty police officer last year all across the country, add up all those deaths... And it's still less than half of the number of children who died at the hands of guns last year in the United States. And yet we don't say at the airport, well, any child under 19 is welcome to board now because we so honor your willingness to die in your schools and homes to maintain the profits of the gun industry and so that men can jack their testosterone by handling guns. Right? It's time for us to do something about this, in my humble opinion. Anyhow, back to our conversations. Uh, Jerry Lee in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Jerry Lee, what's up? Hey, I don't watch Trump very much anymore, but when I was, you know, watching his little things with foreign leaders and stuff, he'd stand there, sit there with his legs wide open, and then his finger and thumb, index finger and thumb, and make like owls, and then the fingers would be pointing down. And I thought to myself, what does that mean? And then I saw on a white supremacist documentary or something that one hand with a thumb and forefinger encircled, touching tip, and the rest of the fingers down was a white nationalism symbol. Now, has anybody else, I haven't heard anybody else talk about that. Oh, yeah. This is the woman who was sitting behind Kavanaugh during the Kavanaugh hearings. She was one of his assistants, and she kept doing it. You spread the three fingers out, so it looks like a W. And then the uh, circle created by your thumb and index finger is the P. It stands for white power. Yeah, that's absolutely what's going on, Jeremy. Stephen Miller has done this, by the way. There's pictures of Stephen Miller in the White House flashing the white power sign. It's the thing right now. These incels, these involuntary celibate people, you know, then the white nationalists and the white supremacists, they're they're all gung-ho on it. Jeremy, thanks so much for the call. Marta in Big Bear Lake, California. Hey, Marta, what's up? Well, I keep thinking about a few weeks ago when you talked about how our presidential candidates can be like FDR and Lincoln and respond to, like FDR responded to the crisis of the Depression. But I think, you know, it was also the the growing Communist Party. And Lincoln responded to the uh, South possibly seceding. I think that's what you discussed. Now, my idea is that Democrats and Republicans are being affected by parallel movements, the Republicans, um, the Tea Party, and, um, you know, has, has sort of taken over in the form of Trump. And on the left, the Green Party was a threat, and the progressives are now a threat to the, the establishment. So um, I think the crises are uh, deindustrialization. Right. Uh, in the form of lots of jobs to our corporate free trade. <clears throat> and yep. the other is the cataclysmic climate disruption and the collapse of our life systems in the oceans and agriculture. And the, the Green Party rightly, you know, was responding to those. So the solution is the Green New Deal. What do you think? I absolutely agree, Marta. I would love to see the Green New Deal. I think that it's a great it's a great concept. Keep in mind the, the specifics have not been nailed down, but the broad principles have been, and I think they're marvelous. I totally agree. Marta, thank you for the call. Teresa in Riverside, California. Hey, Teresa, what's up? Hey, sir. I just want to call and say, I haven't heard anybody talking about this Mueller report. Do we understand that it is the Republican Party, as well as the Republican Senate, that are backing this guy? We have the power in the House, but it's now the time of the power in the Senate. We need to take back the Senate. Once the Democrats take back the Senate, you he won't have anybody to help him. Right. And what did I tell you about that infrastructure? I told you it wasn't going to be done about it. Yeah. It's the same thing, sir. So until we take back the Senate, that power that we need, we're going to always be negotiating. 
Yeah. Take back the Senate. Well, and, and the, the, the problem, Teresa, is the Republican billionaires, the, the, the right-wing billionaires, and there's a whole network of them now, you know, a, a few hundred people who are either billionaires or, or vastly multi, multi, multi-millionaires. And they get together twice a year. The Koch brothers put this thing on. I guess it's now Charles Koch. His, his brother's not doing so well. And I think the reason why a number of Democratic candidates who logically should have been running for the Senate and instead are running for the president are doing so is not that they think they're going to become president, but that they're afraid to run for the Senate because they know that the Kochs and their network are going to pour hundreds of millions of dollars into the Senate races. They know they, they have given up on the legislative process. They are not given up. They've succeeded in gridlocking the legislative process and they have moved on to the judiciary. Their whole thing is we need to control the judiciary. And the way that you do that is by controlling the White House and thus controlling the appointments. Donald Trump has appointed more federal judges so far in two and a half years than any other president in the history of our nation. And that's because Mitch McConnell, throughout most of Obama's presidency, refused to allow the Senate to even consider federal judges. It was such a crisis that in, in uh, 20, uh, what was it, 2015, John Roberts wrote a letter to the Senate, to Mitch McConnell, saying, you know, we have a national crisis with a lack of judges. Please let some of these judges through. And Mitch McConnell said, nope, not going to do it. And uh, so, uh, you know, we've got a serious problem here. And, 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 and I agree with you. Taking back the Senate is the way to do it. And, and I. Also, Mr. Hart, and also, sir, I just want to spend one more point, uh, yeah. one more thing I'm upset about. Why are these lawyers allowed to make these statements? I thought the Bar Association has a code of conduct. Our lawyers that are helping Trump out are not abided by. Right. Why aren't these men tossed out? Don't you think it's time for them to go? Well, lawyers can say and do pretty outrageous things, and, and particularly if they're doing them on behalf of a client. You know, we cut them a lot of slack on the principle that everybody, even horrible criminals, you know, murderers and rapists, are entitled to a defense, to criminal defense. It doesn't mean we have to like them. It doesn't mean their lawyers have to like them. But, you know, if they're hired by them and they're willing to serve them. So I don't think that the Bar Association is going to be the agent that's going to help us here, Teresa. But I get what you're saying, and I think that Bill Barr is the classic example of it. The larger concern is what he's doing, what Barr is doing, and Trump is doing to the Justice Department. This is truly, you know, awful slash breathtaking, what's happening with the Justice Department. Yes, so, sir. Yeah. Teresa, thank you so much for the call. You know, we've, we're talking about impeaching Donald Trump. I mean, that's always the subject. I would like to hear more conversation about the possible impeachment of Bill Barr. You can impeach an attorney general just as easily as you can impeach a president. And the attorney general is not elected, so you're not going to get the kind of pushback that you get from impeaching a president. But I think that Bill Barr, in misrepresenting the Mueller report and lying about it to the American people and to Congress, has committed high crimes and misdemeanors worthy of impeachment. Tom in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Two points on messaging here and how the Democrats always miss these opportunities. But, you know, in a couple of days, the 75th anniversary of D-Day is coming up on Thursday. And I'm listening to right-wing radio and these chicken hawks trying to co-op D-Day. And all they do is talk about Churchill and Eisenhower. Never mention Roosevelt, the guy who led the whole thing, you know, to defeat right-wing fascism. Right. And that's one thing the Democrats missed this opportunity to show that we are the patriots. The greatest generation elected Roosevelt four times to defeat fascism. And where are the Democrats? The, the Republican chicken hawks are trying to co-opt this thing, right? Mm, good point. And then the other thing, Bernie wrote an op-ed. Yeah, I just printed it out. I read the first half of it. I haven't finished it yet. Okay, it's great. He's basically talking about returning the Democrats to FDR's progressive roots. And he ends it by saying, FDR did it and we can too. Right. That's what we got to do, man. Yeah. Just Americanize it. I think, you know, increasingly this I'm an FDR Democrat thing is starting to pick up some traction. And it I, needs, hope so. I do, too. It needs to go a lot farther. Tom, thanks a lot for the call. Excellent points. Always. John in Portland. Hey, John, what's up? Tom, I want to talk to you about guns and testosterone. I work as an electrician in the Portland metro area. And as you well know, Portland's sort of a liberal oasis in a very red sea. Mm -hmm. Before I even go into a homeowner's house, just by looking at the sort of iconography, the thin blue line flags on the flagpole or the lock her up bumper stickers or don't tread on me bumper stickers on the car, 
I can already tell that the home is going to contain a small arsenal next to the breaker box just before I even go in there. Hmm. And my question is, I see every day the fact that the far right and people who sit around all day watching Fox News arm themselves very, very well. Meanwhile, people who are working class, probably either apolitical or left-leaning, even if they don't even realize it outright, have no guns. And knowing that the Revolutionary War was won with guns and that the Civil War, the slaves were emancipated ultimately with guns and that the Civil Rights Movement was sort of at least helped out by the Black Panther Party and the Weathermen Underground, you know, arming themselves. My question to you is, should the left consider arming ourselves as well? I would say, I would say no. I'm not saying, you know, don't buy a gun if you think that you should have one. But what but I, I am mean, saying is that I don't it, think as a that political this, reaction. Yeah. The people on the right who are arming themselves are actually expecting a war. And frankly, they're expecting a race war, a, you know, a war based on racial lines, because it's really easy to see who somebody is, you know, by the color of their skin. It's a lot harder to come up and, you know, ask them their politics. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that we're going to have that kind of, you know, physical violence in this country. And the simple fact is that the more guns, you know, if you have a gun in your house, you just increase by 500 percent the chance of an accidental death in your home. And particularly if you have children. So I would not recommend that at all, John. I, I really would. John, thanks a lot for the call. Stephanie Miller here. If you watch 60 Minutes and you own a home, you just got very nervous. I did. The FBI's former head of cybercrimes warned homeowners that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home and do it all online. That's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked. If you have equity in your home, here's how they get you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, and stick you with the payments. And no bank or identity theft program protects you. You need Home Title Lock, America's leading title and mortgage guardian. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. If cyber thieves tamper with it, we mobilize to help shut it down. You may already be a victim. Here's how to find out. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register for your free title scan and report. $100 value, free with sign-up. Don't let cyber thieves steal your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com like I did. That's HomeTitleLock.com. One more time, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Well, let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do, on the line with us. The author is sideswiped former Ohio Congressman Bob Nay. Bob, welcome back. Well, thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be back. So uh, uh, with regard to the news, what's at the top of your list? Well, I'm a little sad because this will be the last time we will be seeing Jared Kushner in an interview, I'm, well, I'm assuming. Why will it be the he last never- time? Well, he'll never be allowed, I would assume. Somebody's going to go to the president and say, don't ever, ever let him do an interview again. Uh, That's what I'm going to assume. Oh, this is the Axios Uh, interview. I did not see that, but I understand that uh, he was pressed rather aggressively. Well, it's a must-watch. The visuals on it, I have seen, you know, robots have more lifelike ability than he did. Seriously, I mean, it is cold, calculated almost unmoving in the interview. It it was amazing when he talked about the Palestinians, for example, and, you know, he didn't care if they liked him. The most stunning to me, too, on the interview was aired late Sunday was the fact of when they asked him about the Russians, and he says he doesn't know if he would contact the FBI if contacted again by the Russians seeking a meeting. Okay, I saw that clip. Kushner came across to me as an entitled princeling, as, you know, something out of Game of Thrones, you know, as the, as the young man who was raised to be a king and now is. Like I said, he was beyond robotic, arrogant. Yeah. I mean, every type of body feature that you could imagine that you wouldn't want to do in an interview, he did. Right. I mean, it, it stunned me when I right. uh, watched it you oh, know, this morning. I am the oligarch. The news. Yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just stunning. Doubt he will be back on again. He didn't do anybody any favors in the administration. And the Russian talk was absolutely incredible. One would think he would be politically smart enough to at least say, well, yes, if I was contacted, I would talk to the proper authorities and leave it at that. But he didn't. Right. 
an item in the news, Tom, that I think says a lot, and it goes a little bit hand-in-hand with what's going on in Israel, because the peace process, negotiations, the Trump plan is done. And if you look at what Secretary of State Pompeo said to one of the private functions that he did over the weekend, where he absolutely downplayed the entire thing, even to the point where, you know, he's admitting that it really isn't a starter. And there's a couple of reasons for it. One, the fact that they have not involved Palestinians, although Kushner says he talks to Palestinians. You know, I think in the United States he's talked to supposedly a few of them. Oh, so, he, know, he got a couple and, of Palestinian housekeepers? Maybe. That's very, oh, yes, or yes, doing some service around the house, and he's talked to them. And they won't say who, but they've talked to a couple of people. And he was, uh, during this uh, Axios interview, he was questioned, you know, about people on the negotiating committee, and he, he didn't care that there weren't any Palestinians on the negotiating committee. So, but that combined with the fact that Israeli politics are a bit upside down now, so, you know, Netanyahu is not out front on two areas. One, the peace plan. And so it's done. And then the second is the Iran situation, because I think in a stunning comment, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that the Trump administration is willing to talk to Iran with no preconditions. Now, this is the same group that has sanctioned everything except the air that the Iranians breathe. They've sent warships. They went along with the false claims of the Saudis that the Iranians, you know, did something to their tankers, which, you know, we're supposed to believe the people that chopped up a reporter and then said he left the embassy. And so now, in a, I think a very stunning move, Pompeo says, well, we will talk to them with no preconditions. Not the fact of will the Iranians, you know, uh, cut back on any nuclear production, not uh, human rights, nothing. So the Trump administration has now, Tom, went 180 degrees in the other direction. And if you look at what the president said in Japan, which was a slap right as Bolton, uh, the national security advisor, John Bolton, stood behind him, I think this is a huge signal coming that they are breaking from Bolton, they meaning Trump and uh, Pompeo, absolutely breaking from Bolton on this almost inevitable act of war that Bolton was headed to. That's interesting. That's what I think. Yeah. That's what I think. That we'll it's see how long he lasts. Made. Right. Oh, I think Bolton's going to be now, which is a safe move for the world. I think Bolton will now be um, marginalized on, on his way out. Yeah. Um, good thing. We're carrying a story that the measles cases are the highest since 1992. Hmm. So as of May 31st, the United States has recorded 981 cases in 26 states this year. And that's the highest number since 1992 when 2,000-some cases were reported for that year. So, you know, we, we declared in 2000 that measles were eradicated. Uh, and that's, you know, years after the um, 97% effectiveness of the two doses that, you know, were given for measles. So now the CDC is warning Thursday that outbreaks in New York City, Rockland County, New York, have continued for nearly eight months. And if they continue throughout the summer and the fall, the United States may lose its needle, measle elimination status. So for those who debate, you know, vaccines, et cetera, these are some pretty alarming statistics. Yeah, no, vaccines work. Bob Nay uh, right. with Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Great talking with you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We're reading today from the Mueller reports. This is page 63. In this part, he's talking about a fellow by the name of Smith who supported the Trump campaign who was trying to get Hillary Clinton's deleted emails. On August 28, 2016, Smith sent an email from an encrypted account with the subject Secretary Clinton's unsecured private email server to an undisclosed list of recipients, including campaign co-chairman Sam Clovis. The email stated that Smith was, quote, just finishing two days of sensitive meetings here in D.C. with involved groups to poke and probe on the above. It is clear that the Clinton home-based unprotected server was hacked with ease by both state-related players and private mercenaries. Parties with varying interests are circling to release ahead of the election, end of quote. On September 2nd, 2016, Smith directed a business associate to establish KLS Research LLC in furtherance of his search for the deleted Clinton emails. One of the purposes of KLS Research was to manage the funds Smith raised in support of this initiative. KLS Research received over $30,000 during the presidential campaign, although Smith represented that he raised even more money. Smith recruited multiple people for his initiative, including security experts, to search for and authenticate the emails. 
In early September 2016, as part of his recruitment and fundraising effort, Smith circulated a document stating that his initiative was, quote, in coordination with the Trump campaign, quote, to the extent permitted as an independent expenditure organization, end quote. The document listed multiple individuals affiliated with the Trump campaign, including Flynn, Clovis, Bannon, and Kellyanne Conway. The investigation established that Smith communicated with at least Flynn and Clovis, Clovis about his search for the deleted Clinton emails, but the office did not identify evidence that any of the listed individuals initiated or directed Smith's efforts. On September 2016, Smith and Ledeen got back in touch with each other about their respective efforts. Ledeen wrote to Smith, quote, wondering if you had some more detailed reports or memos or other data you could share because we've come a long way in our efforts since we last visited. We would need as much technical information as possible so we could marry it against the new data we have found and then share it back with you, quote, your eyes only, end quote. Ledeen claimed to have obtained a trove of emails from what she described as the dark web that purported to be the deleted Clinton emails. Ledeen wanted to authenticate the emails and solicit contributions to fund that effort. Eric Prince provided funding to hire a tech advisor to ascertain the authenticity of the emails. According to Prince, the tech advisor determined that the emails were not authentic. A backup of Smith's computer contained two files that had been downloaded from WikiLeaks and that were originally attached to emails received by John Podesta. The files on Smith's computer had creation dates of October 2, 2016, which was prior to the date of their release by WikiLeaks. Forensic examination, however, established that the creation date did not reflect when the files were downloaded to Smith's computer. It appears the creation date was when WikiLeaks staged the document for release, as discussed in Volume 1, Section 3. The investigation did not otherwise identify evidence that Smith obtained the files before their release by WikiLeaks. Smith continued to send emails to an undisclosed recipient list about Clinton's deleted emails until shortly before the election. For example, on October 28, 2016, Smith wrote that there was, quote, a tug of war going on within WikiLeaks over its planned releases in the next few days, and that WikiLeaks, quote, has maintained that it will save its best revelations for last, under the theory this allows little time for response prior to the U.S. election November 8th, end quote. An attachment to the email claimed that WikiLeaks would release, quote, all 33,000 deleted emails by November 1st. No emails obtained from Clinton's server were subsequently released. Smith drafted multiple emails stating or intimating that he was in contact with Russian hackers. For example, in one such email, Smith claimed that in August 2016, KLS Research had organized meetings with parties who had access to the deleted Clinton emails, including parties, quote, with ties and affiliations to Russia. The investigation did not identify evidence that any such meetings occurred. Associates and security experts who worked with Smith on the initiative did not believe that Smith was in contact with Russian hackers and were aware of no such connection. The investigation did not establish that Smith was in contact with Russian hackers or that Smith, Ledeen, or other individuals in touch with the Trump campaign ultimately obtained the deleted Clinton emails. In sum, the investigation established that the GRU hacked into email accounts of persons affiliated with the Clinton campaign, as well as the computers of the DNC and DCCC. The GRU then exfiltrated data related to the 2016 election from these accounts and computers and disseminated that data through fictitious online personas, DC Leaks and Guccifer 2.0, and later through WikiLeaks. The investigation also established that the Trump campaign displayed interest in the WikiLeaks releases and that, and then Bill Barr deleted a bunch of this. As explained in Volume 1, Section 5, the evidence was sufficient to support computer intrusion and other charges against GRU officers for their role in election-related hacking. And then the rest of page 65 was redacted by Bill Barr. Page 66, item four, Russian government links to and contacts with the Trump campaign. The office identified multiple contacts, links in the words of the appointment order, between Trump campaign officials and individuals with ties to the Russian government. The office investigated whether those contacts constituted a third avenue of attempted Russian interference with or influence on the 2016 presidential election. In particular, the investigation examined whether these contacts involved or resulted in coordination or conspiracy with the Trump campaign and Russia. It's the Mueller report. Mike in Suffolk, Virginia. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm actually uh, about 15 miles to the west of Virginia Beach. Uh -huh. so. So you, you brought up the guns. This is the first time I ever watched the show, so they okay. kind of give you an idea. And, and you seem like the type of person that obviously has good civil dialogue with people and be able to uh, disagree. What is your overall 
I guess your way of solving, you think, the gun violence of this is for what is your opinion? We had, uh, you know, we had 34,000 gun deaths in the United States in 2016. We had 40,000 last year. About half of those are suicides. About 10% of those are accidents in the home, particularly the over 100 of the child deaths last year, where people just had guns laying around. I'm in favor of responsible gun ownership. And that's why I said earlier, and I said, and I'm, I'm guessing this is what you're responding to, Mike, that you know when cars started killing people in the 1920s, because there were so many of them and they could go so fast, we said, wait a minute, we need to regulate cars. We need to do so. You know, and regulated, by the way, is a word that appears in the Constitution only once, to the best of my knowledge, maybe twice, but, you know, in the Second Amendment. We need to regulate cars. We have registration from the time of manufacture until the time of destruction, and every year that registration has to be renewed so we know who's responsible for the car, who owns it, number one. Number two, you have to take a driver's license test. You have to prove you know how to drive, and you have to prove that you know what the laws and rules are associated with driving. So you have to get a driver's license. And number three, you have to have liability insurance, which is the Republican free market solution, right? So if somebody's a lousy driver, you know, their insurance price goes up, sometimes to the point where they can't afford the car anymore. And I would say, why not apply those same three things to guns? It's just, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. It is not a violation of Heller. It is not a violation of anybody's constitutional rights. And it just seems like common sense stuff. Right. I can see that. And I see that point. The downfall with that is what is the real numbers of people that are or gun owners that have these accidents? What are the real numbers that they were actually responsible? Because majority. If you of have a gun in your home, I- the odds of a person being killed by a gun in your home are 500 percent higher than if you don't have a gun in your home. That's, that's, oh, you know. I've heard that statistic. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah I mean, you can, you can find it. Mike, I'm sorry we're out of time here. It's the end of the show. But, yeah, you know, okay. call back again and we'll continue the conversation. Thanks so much for being with us today. What a fascinating day. And, hey, the whole Trump crime family is out of the country right now, right? He took his kids. He took their kids. He took their spouses. He took their servants. Like a thousand people, you know, that Trump brought with him to the U.K. Can we close the border? Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 